Okay. Hold on. Okay. The story begins. We are on the air. Live. You, know, you said you said that, and it, it it took me back to my childhood. Is 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 on the air? Who who can say the first part of that sentence from their childhood? Something something is on the air. Come on, one of you has to know this. The Wild World of Sports. No, it's it was a children's show. Sesame Street. You're getting close. The Electric Company. No, it was Bozo Circus. Oh, I said that Bozo Circus. I had to unmute myself. Oh, oh I, I, absolutely right, Lynn. Bozo Circus is on the air. This is on the air. <laughs> Sorry, Josh. It was a complete lie. Mike, I could take I, a hint here. I don't even Sorry, know what that is. <laughs> yeah, I'm not comparing you to Bozo Circus. It's on WGN Channel That's Nine. Right. Absolutely. Oh, Lynn, you're right there with me. Oh, oh it's a Chicago it's thing. That's why I don't it's, know. It's, it is Channel Nine, and it was a very great guy who made lots of children very happy. Not oh, unlike the yeah. Mr. Green jeans, who was questionable in character. That's funny. Okay, so we are on chapter forty-eight, page six, thirteen. I'm going to be honest. This is a very difficult chapter. It's a very philosophical chapter. It's. I don't want to say digressing, but it's different than the past several chapters we've been studying. And I'll tell you why. Let's backtrack for a second. Since chapter 41, maybe 40, but pretty much 41, we've been discussing various methodologies to boost our passion for God, to boost our feelings for God. We spoke a great deal about reverence, how to develop reverence, thinking about how relevant God is to our lives. We spoke a great deal about developing love, love for God. And our meditation in chapter 46 was reminding, was, was a historical meditation. God took us out of Egypt, um, out of unconditional love. We didn't do anything to deserve it. Right? If a king were to show us unconditional love, despite our circumstances, we would react with positive emotions. We would react with love. Well, the king did that. He took us out of Egypt. In chapter 47 last week, we said God didn't just take us out of Egypt. He continues to take us out of Egypt. When we make our soul comfortable, it's leaving Egypt. It's going back to God. God is giving, gives us opportunity to liberate the soul. And the fact that he gives us that opportunity itself is an expression of love. Our reaction to that is love. That was the, the, the meditation we spoke about last week. And that's basically when we do a mitzvah, when we study Torah, when we recite the Shema. We're bringing our soul back to its comfort zone. We're liberating the soul from all of the mishugas that it has to go through on a regular day-to-day -day basis. But those couple minutes of Torah study, those couple minutes of prayer, those couple minutes of a mitzvah. Now we come to our chapter, chapter 48. In chapter 48, again, we're still continuing our topic, how to develop love. But chapter 48 is just background, technical background. We call it Kabbalistic geography. Kabbalistic background to set us up for the right meditation. Does that make sense? 
So the actual meditation that we want to get to might not be apparent yet in our chapter. We may not actually experience it until chapter 49. So even if this chapter does feel overwhelmingly uh, spiritual or philosophical, just, just buckle up, hold on. You'll see how it all clicks in. Is there Sounds a significance that, that it starts on page 613? That's a, that's a good question. Um, probably. <laughs> There's no accidents in this world, right? <laughs> there are no accidents in this world. Maybe this chapter is the, uh, the gateway to all the 613 misses. What happens when we think about God? What happens when we think about God? What happens when you think about anything? When you start to think about something, you develop an attitude toward it. You develop a value, you develop a, a feeling. When we think about God, it, it's the same thing. But thinking about God is a little tricky because how can my mind, how can I wrap my mind around God? I'll give you, you know, I don't know if it's a silly example or not, but let's say, David, let's say you're, you're studying Maimonides, right? It's the laws of God's Torah. Certain laws can be very intricate, can be very difficult, very tricky. The laws of, when, as they pertain, uh, pertain to astronomy, for example, right, can be very difficult. I could barely wrap my mind around his Torah. How could I wrap my mind around him, the author of his Torah? God is infinite, right? Take a look on the bottom of 613. Now, when an intelligent person will contemplate the greatness of the blessed infinite one, when we think about God, page 614, and as his name suggests, there is no end, finality, or limit whatsoever to the light energy emerging from him. So what happens? the intelligent one will realize that a huge gap separates an infinite God from this finite world. There's this big gap between us and God because I can't really wrap my mind around him. I'm a finite being. He's an infinite being. And by the way, look at what we say here. It, it's not just... God that's infinite, his light is infinite. His, what does his light mean? God has light. Light is Kabbalistic co um, code word. When we say light, what he's revealing of himself is infinite, right? Usually when you relate to someone, especially someone new that you're not ready to be vulnerable with, there's you, and then there's what you want to show them, right? And what you want to show them is just a glimmer. It's not really you. But to God, even what he reveals, that glimmer, that light, knows no limit. There's no end to it. Not only is there no end to thinking about God, there's no end to thinking about our frame of reference for him what he shows us of himself. Does that make sense? Now, 
the reason why there is this gap, why are we so finite? It's a big blessing, by the way. It, there, there is this dichotomy. On the one hand, we want to experience God. We want to think about him. On the other hand, if he were to show us the real him, if there weren't this gap, what would happen? We'd be super overwhelmed. I was going to say overwhelmed. Yeah. It would be very overwhelming. If God were to show us in show us to him. No. Show himself yeah. to us. There we go. Say that six times fast. If God were to show himself to us. <laughs> this is after a long day of camp. No. If, <laughs> if God were to show himself to us. One, in order for that to happen, one of two things need to happen. Either he can't show us his full self. He has to limit himself. Or he, or we can't um, exist the way we know our, ourselves in our finite way. They, they, one of the two need to happen. Because God is infinite and we are finite, we, can, we simply can't grasp that. We call this in Kabbalistic lingo, Tzimtzum. Tzimtzum means God it hides himself to an extent. God uh, limits himself perceptually, not actually. God has no limitations. But perceptually, he only allows us to see whatever we see. Right? That's called symptom. Uh, symptom, by the way, reduction. That's the literal translation. God reduces himself. It, it's, a, it's so important. This is a powerful, you could use Kabbalah and Tanya teachings as a powerful lesson in communication. In communication, symptom is key. Right? They say, you, you know how, I, there was some famous comedian, I forgot who he was. He was into carving apparently as well. And he said, the way you, you want to carve a duck out of a block of wood, just cut away everything that doesn't look like a duck. And there you go. You, right? Symptom, the biggest part of symptom is God basically saying, I'm not going to reveal myself. I'm going to decide to not reveal myself so you could experience me. Um, that, that's a powerful lesson in communication. When, when you're preparing a speech, when you're preparing a class, when you're preparing a sermon, a lesson, a lecture, whatever it might be, a big part of the process is editing, vetting, and you decide, what am I not going to say? What is not necessary here? What is going to get in the way? All right, imagine a teacher were to get up in front of the class and just say everything. Right, a a good teacher, a good communicator, can is very succinct. You could just put it on one sentence. By the way, God does that. Look how short the Bible is <laughs> compared to to the amount of uh, Torah scholarship there actually is. Right. With one verse of Torah, there's so much going on there that the Talmud has to kind of expound on. But God is very succinct. She says it in one sentence, a couple of sentences, right? Um, if, there was, if God did not employ symptom, we would not know anything as we do right now, right? Take a look at the bottom of 614, the last bold paragraph, second to last paragraph. Everyone with me? Okay, buckle up because this is this is 
a difficult, I found it to be difficult, I don't know. We're gonna try our best, we're gonna hold on tight. And if the spiritual world had unfolded from the blessed infinite light without any radical diminishments in English, if God did not employ symptom, and the creation of the spiritual and physical worlds would have only followed a sequential cause and effect process, where each phase is relative to the next, this world couldn't have been created at all in its current, in its current limited finite form. So there had to have been a symptom in us for us to exist as we know it. If God never did that, if he kind of if the world just evolved from him without um, without a there's a word I'm looking for and I'm I'm missing it. How about filter? Without a filter, right? But it but but it's a it's not just a sudden filter. Certain filters are sudden, right? You go from black to gray to oh, white. So it was like a like a lens. Yeah, like kind a, of. It, like it, it was lens. like a it was a very sudden shift of gears. Right? It wasn't a gradual filter. It was very sudden. And what happens is what? <laughs> and a logarithm graph. Yeah, yeah kind the, of. The upper part is infinitely larger than the lower part. Exactly, exactly. There had to have been this sudden filter, There's this sudden, I'm going shift to limit of, myself, right? Shift, it was a shift. A shift of perspective. For right, it was, it was almost a shift in communication, right? Right, instead of saying, let me try to make this lesson, this speech, giving an example of the communicator, uh, let me make this speech a little shorter. It's let me tear up the speech and just say it all in one sentence, right? Because what happens is when you deduct any amount from something infinite, you're still gonna have infinity. <laughs> so God needs this symptom literally for us to exist. We cannot exist as we know it we will never have the perspective that we do were God not to have employed symptom. Now it comes with a price though, right? There's pros and cons to everything in life. Um, the pros to symptom, we exist, right? We get to perceive God in a, a uh, we, get, we get to have a relationship with God. We get to, you know, that every relationship has boundaries. As soon as you lose boundaries, it's not a relationship anymore. There's a therapist called, there's a, there's a modality of therapy called Bowen's entanglement theory. Is anybody familiar with this? Or basically his theory is uh, often when couples are not driving well together, they don't have any sense of independent identity. I and mean, when there's no sense of independent identity, you don't have two people having a relationship, you just have a mess. Um, if not for symptom, we wouldn't have an independent sense of identity. We wouldn't have a real meaningful relationship with God, right? But it comes with a price. What's the price? Our relationship is limited. But when I say relationship, let, let me be more specific. 
our ability to perceive him is limited, right? They, they say, I, I, I keep drawing parallels from the counseling room because it's just, um, I don't know, it's what comes to mind. But what they say is when you're counseling a client, you know, don't be tempted to make big life decisions because you understand a 40 minute slice of their decade uh, length of life, <laughs> multi-decade length of life. Right? What we see of God, well, that's of a person, one person, you just see a slice of their life, whatever they're showing you. For sure, with God, how much do we already, how much do we see already? We're very limited. We're very finite in our ability to perceive Him. And guess what happens when we're finite in our ability to perceive Him? We become finite in our ability to experience Him. Right. Let me let me word this in more contemporary lingo. What you're passionate about is a is in direct correlation with what you value, with what you appreciate. Right. So, how much am I going to be passionate about God and His mitzvahs to the extent that I appreciate Him? to the extent that I value him. But how much am I gonna value him? Well, however much my mind allows. That's very limited. This relationship is very limited. So on the one hand, symptom allows for a relationship. On the other hand, symptom makes that relationship very limited, very subjective. Right, take a look on 615, please. This is the case, by the way, not only in our paradigm, remember we spoke about multi-level paradigms, multi-level worlds, multi-levels of spiritual perspectives and ability to perceive God, even in the highest of worlds in the high heavens, where God is much more uh, perceived, go to the world of Atsilus, right? We, we gave the piano analogy, right? Some people see a piano, some people see furniture, some people see or a woodpecker is gonna see food, right? See dinner. The highest of paradigms where you see the furniture, you see the piano as a piano, right? You see what the world is all about. You see that it's more than just a piece of furniture or a piece of food. Even in that paradigm, it's still going to be limited. I'm not really going to see the full thing, right? Take a look at the second paragraph, on second bold paragraph, please, on 615. And even the world that is coming, the heavens, and the upper chamber of Ganadin, heaven, where the souls of great tzaddikim dwell, they're limited and finite. They're subject to tzimtzum. Nobody's exempt. And the disembodied souls themselves, and it goes without saying the angels, are limited and finite. Okay, so I, I, wa I want to just, just to put this in perspective. Imagine a world where there was just total clarity. Imagine a world where there were no doubts. We're always filled with doubts. It's normal in our world. We're used to it, right? It's almost weird if you don't have doubts. Um, imagine a world where there really is no doubts because there's just clarity. There's not even faith. You don't even need faith. You're just, it's, it's all clear, right? When you see the world, when you see existence, you see the soul of it, not just the furniture, right? You see that it's a piano. It's playing beautiful music. You don't just see 
furniture, right? Imagine that world. I'm trying to just give an illustration of what it might be like in Atsilus or in a, in a higher heaven, heavenly plane. Imagine the perspective of a great sage, the clarity that a great sage has who is not corrupted by media, who is not corrupted by, you know, who, whose life is just prayer, love, reverence, knowledge, right? Just very, very rich. That perspective is still going to be limited. That perspective is still subject to tzimtzum. Okay, now what about us regular folk? Well, we're for sure subject to, to tzimtzum. We're for sure going to be limited in our ability to perceive, right? Let's take a look at the next bold paragraph. It's the third one of the page. Uh, the last bold paragraph of the page is the long one. We know this because there's a limit to their comprehension of the blessed infinite light, which shines to them through the limiting filter of Chachma, Bina, Da'as. And consequently, there's a limit to the pleasure they get from basking in the ray of the divine presence. Because there's a limit to our ability to perceive God, um, conceptually, there's a limit to our ability to emotionally experience him and enjoy him. Right? How much are you going to enjoy Judaism to the amount that you appreciate it? However much you appreciate it, it's, it's not enough, right? It's much more than that. Because they can't actually receive pleasure and enjoyment directly from the infinite one without their sense of independent existence being voided, which would cause them to return to their source in God. In order to get the actual truth, the actual essence, which is not subject to our um, putting, limiting it to our subjective values, well, then we can't exist. So there's this incredibly difficult dichotomy, the price of symptom, right? If we had to label the title of this class, of this discussion, I think I would call it the price of symptom, right? There's a price of having, symptom comes with a price. Not having symptom comes with a price. The price you pay for not having symptom you don't get to exist. But you're not limited by anything. Well, what good does that do, right? The price that you pay for having symptom is you're limited, you're defined. You are you. You're not anyone else, which means you're going to have your unique way of seeing things, your unique way of processing things, your unique way of uh, valuing things. Um, and, and the price for that is the limitations, but what you gain from that is, is a relationship. It's, it's a very weird dichotomy. Very weird dichotomy. Okay. Before we carry on, any questions, comments, thoughts? Is everyone on the boat with me? Is that the reason it's on page 613? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Going back to David's question, right? Maybe it all circled back. That's the bottom line, 613. Okay, but it makes sense? Okay. I'll take that as a yes. Hey, it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it is complicated. Yeah. It, it, um, it is complicated. I, um, I'm going to agree with you. Can I ask you something? In previous chapters, so we know God is hidden and it's, and, um, it seems so that he's 
But are we supposed to be godly as well and also stay hidden? People. To, to, to an extent, yeah. So, so an if you, and then you're more godly. Well, that, that, that's the concept of, of modesty in Judaism. And you know, in, in a sense where the, the, again, the advantage of God hiding himself is we yeah. get to have a real meaningful relationship. If God didn't hide himself, he'd be totally available, but we'd be overwhelmed. But but modesty, but modesty is a physicality. So, so modesty is that same idea. We, we hide ourselves to an extent, and now we get to, the, the relationship can be more meaningful. Uh, uh, physically. Yeah. You, want, you want us to hide intellectually as well? No. But when you hide physically, I'll figure you out intellectually. Got it. And emotionally? And, and emotionally. And that's what God does. He hides physically. We, our eyes don't see him. But we'll connect to him emotionally and intellectually. And the effort that you put into finding him will be the amount of effort will be the more you appreciate him. Exactly. Exactly. Finding is him is more, it's more about understanding. Yeah. It's, and that's, and again, Sharon, that's a blessing and a curse. The blessing is that it's very meaningful. Yeah. The, I don't want to say curse, but the, the drawback to that is it is limited to our ability to experience him. It's limited to our, to our own subjectivity. Which but is, if it's any different, it doesn't actually matter because you don't know anything else. Exactly, exactly. So we're exactly we're put in a tight corner. It's the only, you could. It's almost the only choice. Like what other choice is there? Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. So this is providing a framework for us. This this spiritual geography is providing a framework for us, a frame of reference, so we can know who we're loving and how we can love him. And why we should. And why, exactly. Exactly. If you look on page 616. In general, there are there are two types, there are two ways God interacts with us. There are two ways people interact with us. There's two ways we interact with each other. There's what I show you of myself, and then there's who I am. Right? If those two are, are, are if there's a discrepancy between the two, we have a professional relationship, right? If who I really am, my personality, my values, my sense of humor, my shtick, um, if you don't see that, if what you see is just me smiling and waving, we have a very professional relationship. We have an amical relationship, right? That's good for the workplace. Um, if you see who I am, you really get to know me, my values, my perspectives, my shtick, right? That's vulnerability. You're getting to know me, right? 
What happens when we're vulnerable with someone before they're ready? Right? If you're vulnerable with someone before you even get them, before they even know you, before they're ready for it. You scare them off. You scare them off, right? Or you make right. them feel make them feel un uncomfortable in the sense that they're not ready to reveal themselves in the same right. Way. They're not ready to reciprocate and perhaps they're not ready to, to do that themselves. So they're not ready to experience that, right? A couple on a first date aren't gonna be vulnerable. Um, people that are very vulnerable to people that they don't even know, what do we say? Oh, they have no filter, <laughs> right? Um, let's go back to God for a moment. Kabbalah talks about these two relationships, and it's fascinating. I find it fascinating that that Torah teachings is just was so ahead of its times. It's just it amazes me. Kabbalah talks about how who God is and how God reveals Himself. And there's a discrepancy between the two because we're not ready for God's vulnerability. We experience to the extent that we're able God revealing himself, right? To an extent, we see him as the creator of the world. We pray to him. We, um, you know, but who he really is, nothing can compare to, right? Which means, look at it this way. Relative, hold, hold on tight, hold on to this for a second. Relative to who God is. Relative to who God is, doesn't matter how smart you are. We're all the same. On an experiential level, on a subjective level, perhaps a more spiritually in tune person, a more intelligent person, a more refined person, have a greater experience of spirituality than perhaps someone who's less so, right? That's on an experience level. But compare that to who God is. Compare that to God himself. Does it really make a difference? Does it really make a difference in, in how much you're going to understand God himself if you have an IQ of 120 or 180? Yes. Is there, it, it's in terms of the experience, yes, but in terms of how much of God you're understanding, does it really make a difference? Let me, let me rephrase it differently. And this is how he actually rephrases it here in the book here. Obviously, the number one million is much greater than the number one. Right? We'll agree on that? Yeah. Number one million is much greater than number one. But which one is closer to infinity? They're both equidistant. Right, they're both equally distant to infinity. Number one million is no closer than number one to infinity. To, to the infinity perspective, they're both finite. It doesn't matter, right? One is larger, one is smaller, right? So from God's perspective, from our perspective, the world, the spiritual heavens, okay, greater experience of God. A righteous, refined person who might experience God in a, in a deeper way. But from God's perspective, well, you guys are all finite. You're all the same. It doesn't really matter. Right? 
Let, let's put it this way. Let me reword it. If you were, how, let, let's, re, well, let's word it this way. How much of God can your brain understand? What percentage of God can your brain understand? Right, zero, because God's infinite. But what percentage of God, what, what percentage of your brain should be occupied in understanding God? All of it, all of it, right? You see the difference? One's describing the subject and one's describing the experience. Okay, in Kabbalistic lingo, we call it the experience, how God fills the world, the light that he reveals. When describing the subject, God himself, we call that God encompassing the world, surrounding the world. That's not to say that he literally surrounds the world. That's not to say that, but actually let, let's read this inside. Please take a look at the bottom of 616. All the way in the bottom. This radically diminished light is a very small glimmer of light and it's literally considered zero in comparison to its source of the unlimited infinite light. There's no relative value or comparison to them at all. However much light you, in other words, Light, again, is code word for experience, an experiential relationship, rather than focusing on the subject itself. However much light you're going to have, that experience is subjective and limited, and there's no comparison to the essence, right? The number one million is no closer than the number one to infinity. I'm going to take a look on, on 617, the second paragraph. The reason is because, mathematically, the term relative value has a straightforward meaning. Where, for example, the number one has a relative value to the number one million, it being, it being one million part of it. But compared to something that is infinite and beyond number, it has no relative value at all mathematically. So that even a million or 100 million compared to infinity isn't even one million or 100 millionth of infinity. It's literally considered zero. Right, you follow? One million is no closer to, to um, infinity than the number one. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's actually a little sad if you think about it, right? Because it's like, as hard as I try, I, I'm, I'm considered to have understood close to nothing about Hashem. Well, look at it this way. You don't have to be a million you don't have to be on that level to understand Hashem. <laughs> you know, it kind of contradicts everything because we learned the relationship between us and God is the main and most important thing. Then God's hidden and he's, but he gives nothing back. And we just, an, we just a number in the big scheme of things. On the contrary. No, 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 no. You're, if God was a million, 
right? God was a million bucks. You need a million dollars to get God and you just have a dollar. Yeah. Right? I'm a millionth of something so big. What is that worth? But if God is infinite, then do I even need that dollar? No, because you, you, you get your part. Exactly. You are who you are and you're going to connect to God in your way. He, he is one million and he's also infinity and he's also 10. And he's also right. exactly what we need him to be. Exactly. And that's, and that's actually why this is not as that sad, but on the contrary, because he's so, because nothing really matters, you can connect to him, however. Right? Yeah, this Meditate on me. this. Sorry? Oh, sorry, I was going to say, this, this reminds me of the other chapter in Tanya uh, that talks about how Hashem is so infinite that he can make himself finite, reachable. Right, right, exactly. For, for, those, that have the, the, for those that have the knowledge or the perspective, everybody gets exactly what they can deal with. It's, you know, right. it can't be equal across the board. It, it, exactly. In other words, God is so infinite that he'll even relate to someone like me. He'll even so, relate to someone limited like us. Someone. You have to be vulnerable because he'll relate to you anyway. It, it, does, it does require a degree of vulnerability, of honesty, of realizing that we're not. Um, Yeah, it, it definitely is a strong level of vulnerability, 100%. And th this connection to God, connecting to God, not just what we see of him, but to him as the subject, not as the experience, right? It's an important distinction. Him as the subject is infinite, way beyond what we can perceive. And we call that in Kabbalistic lingo, God to, uh, transcending the world. But Tanya makes a point to, to, uh, to tell us that he doesn't literally transcend the world. He conceptually transcends the world. In the literal sense, there's no place where God is not. He's a creator of the world. In the conceptual sense, which means in terms of our experience, he's transcendent. Um, our experience is not always reality. What? This is the first. The first thing I've ever heard about Kabbalah that makes sense. <laughs> it might be the last, too. <laughs> I, it's just so far beyond what I can comprehend what you just said makes sense for, oh, that's what Kabbalah is about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ah, oh, come on, exactly. David. If, if, uh, if, if Madonna can do it, yeah. <laughs> Should I still be recording? <laughs> I know when you're done. When you're done. <laughs> uh, let, let, me, let me end off with this. I know this is super philosophical, and, and, but let, let me put it this way. I was, I was recently um, reading a talk um, transcribed in the Lubavitcher Rebbe's, one of his um, gatherings, one of his Febrangans. 
the, the Rebbe had an incredible talent in his casual talks of taking these deep concepts and just making it so practical. And the way the Rebbe worded it, he said there's two types of intellect. There's divine intellect, and there is, there's two types of perspectives, sorry. Divine perspective and intellectual perspective. They could both have relationships with God. The intellectual can have a relationship with God. The believer can have a relationship with God. But they're both very different. They both have very different premises. The premise of the intellectual is trying to make that, that there, we have to make sense of this. And at some point he gets to the conclusion that there's something I can't understand. I cannot understand. There must be a creator that I cannot understand, right? Kind of like Abraham. The premise was intellectual. The conclusion was, was, was faith. Divine perspective is the exact opposite. The premise is that there's something I can't understand. The premise is that there's a God who's transcendent, perceptually transcendent. And the conclusion is make trying to the extent that I can, making this meaningful for my mind and heart. Not using that as the starting point, but using that as it will even be meaningful to me, even though it's transcendent. God is transcendent. Is transcendent coming down? Exactly. And so in other words, perceptually, the default down. perspective is that he's transcendent, but he's very much part of yeah. our life. So the more we Sorry? elevate ourselves, then he comes down. So it, it gives a perspective of coming down. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. That's there the are, bottom line. There are so many intellectuals like somebody, somebody I'm related to. There are so many intellectuals who are um, atheists. Right. And I think that they, when they come to something they can't understand, a certain kind of mind says it doesn't exist. Right. And, and that's the problem with, with philosophy in general, there, there's like this premise that you're basing everything off of. So that, the, go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you're assuming the premise to be true. Your entire philosophy is, hinged on a, is hinging on a premise. Those, so the, the transcending or the, the, the um, coming down or whatever, is that on the idea of that the more room we make for God, the more room there is for God? Yeah, 100%. 100%. In okay. other words, he, when we say he's transcendent, again, it's perceptually he's transcendent. In reality, he's here. We just need to reveal him, right? In reality, the piano is a piano. It's not furniture. But we need to learn about it to realize that it plays music. It's not just there to hold picture frames or there for a woodpecker's dinner. <laughs> so the, the reality, perceptually, he is transcendent. He's way beyond strengths of our intellect arbitrary to appreciate him but we can appreciate him still to the extent that we're able yeah um so so david for your for your question was that the people who are atheistic i they will still be they they, they will still be seen by god and they will still be because are they like a number just one of those numbers wherever you're on the list 
God will accept you because you're one of them. And when you're ready for him, then, then, you'll, then when your time's right, then you'll, he'll transcend and, or you'll elevate yourself when they're ready. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, it goes back to the premise of basically realizing that I didn't create God, God created me. You know, it's, well, I don't know if I believe in God. Well, why is this about me? <laughs> Isn't God the creator? <laughs> okay. Who cares if I believe in him? He's, he's the creator, not me. So what, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah. Oh. Good question. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs>